0: welcome back to Not Another Science Podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Alex. This week we're talking to Ruby Marshall, a PhD student in the Soft Systems Group at the University of Edinburgh. Before the interview we learned that some of Ruby's research interests are robotics, prosthetics and fish. So naturally we thought we were about to do an interview about crazy engineering ideas like, well, bionic mermaid tails. We were obviously wrong but to our delight the reality of Ruby's research is just as cool as she takes inspiration from nature to make and study materials that have
1: useful real-world applications. We chatted to Ruby about how she brings a blend of different skills to solve new problems which can be really beneficial and rewarding as Ruby uses her engineering background combined with her non-academic interests to help share her research. As someone who seems naturally comfortable chatting about her work, we also learned about some of Ruby's exciting and novel outreach experiences, which she hopes will get general audiences and more people involved in research. So stay tuned as we take a
0: deep dive into the world of bio-inspired soft robotics and engineering. Before we start, though, this podcast is sponsored by Griner Bio One, supplying laboratory, diagnostic and medical products to research institutions, higher education, the NHS and others across the UK. For details of the full product range, visit www.gbo.com.
2: So my name is Ruby Marshall and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, My background's in aeromechanical engineering. I would usually say I'm an aeromechanical engineer and I'm now doing a PhD in soft robotics, which although it's been over two years now, still feels like I'm masquerading as a mechanical engineer in the world of robotics. Outside of that, I, I do a lot of water sports, I sing a lot and I play the harp. So a big mix of things, but in some ways I see that everything crosses over and there's you know, little bits of engineering and music and sport and a little bits of, well, yeah, there's a lot of movement in the engineering I do. So
1: nice crossover there. That's a really cool transition. So what made you want to take the leap from mechanical engineering into robotics? Honestly, it's
2: not the most interesting end, I was, or end a new beginning. I was finishing my master's in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, and everyone around me knew what they wanted to do, they were applying for jobs, or PhDs, or further studies, and yeah, it was April, finishing in the May, and I thought, yeah, I've got no idea, what, what am I doing? Do I want to keep doing this? Because uh, i kinda of, kind of gone back and forward during my studies, which is, uh, I think, mechanical engineering uh, can be quite a challenging degree. And I came across my supervisor's profile on, I think it was findaphd.com, and I was instantly taken by his study of cephalopods. Because I'd heard about biomimicry before, and I knew it was a thing, but I hadn't seen anything that really caught my eye with it but because i love water sports so much and the sea the idea of looking at squids and octopuses just blew my mind and yet the idea that you could combine interesting animals and engineering was a dream come true (laughs) so i I emailed him to ask if he had any projects we set up a skype call and that's when he sort of realized that i my favorite animals are sharks and uh in general just I love the way fish swim so yeah just through a a casual conversation we realized there's quite a lot of crossover maybe there's a potential for a project here and it all came from that.
0: Cool is there is there a specific type of I guess cephalopod that you try and mimic? So I'm mainly focusing on fish fin
2: swimming which would be so the back tail of the fish um, whereas my supervisor looked at the cephalopods and I know it's an interesting concept because they swim with this idea of jets so the same way a plane creates a jet through their engines the cephalopods propel themselves forward in fluid I'm not specifically doing that but if you want anyone wants to look that up it's uh, Dr. Francesco Giorgio Serchi and yeah it's a lot of interesting papers on that.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So what does your research actually entail? Is it more theoretical or are you doing any practical robotic work? So far it's been
2: a, a huge mix because originally the plan was for it to be very experimentational though of course with the many other people's projects the pandemic's gotten in a way quite a bit. So I spent two years mostly looking at the theoretical modelling and analysis so that would be a lot of coding of the dynamics of the system I'm looking at with the view to create the physical system test the physical system and compare
0: and would you be will you be involved in like the fabrication of it as well or does that get handed over to people who make devices
2: yeah I'm doing the full thing so this was uh, something interesting it came up from the conference the school of engineering conference last year was I had some images of textiles and people were asking who made this it's a machine it's somebody else and and I had to admit, no, I actually spent three hours <laughs> making that. So, yeah, two years ago, I got to go, the chance to go to Japan to the Suzumori Endo Robotics Lab, which was a treasure trove of engineering and robotics. Think think of the craziest mad scientist lab set, lab set up you can. And that that was what it was. So, there I got to learn how to make this robotic textile, uh, really understand the ins and outs of it. And I brought the theory behind it with back with me. We purchased some of the materials and we're sort of working in tandem with them on developing uses for this robotic textile. So yeah, if you ever see anything, any of my research, I've, I've sat and made it at my kitchen table <laughs> on a weaving board that I asked the mechanical department to make for me. Yeah, everything's handmade. In that way, there's a big crossover with arts and... The physical design, uh, which was another reason I was interested in the project, because I've been knitting and crocheting since I was seven, my grand taught me. And I really love being able to use theory in a very practical way and really physically understand
1: it and be able to look at it and turn something over. What kind of textile is it? Is it like a, a wool or a costly thing? I, I, I just can't imagine what you're actually weaving <laughs> And is, are you controlling that material or is the robotics going inside the material and it's like an outer layer? So if you
2: imagine a woven structure, you've got uh, yarns that are perpendicular to each other. And I think most people might, might have tried or you could even get a coarse fabric out and look at it, how it's interwoven with each other. It's basically the same thing, except one of the fibres is a pneumatic tubing and the other one is anything you want it to be. In my case I've chosen a nylon string for its strength and waterproofness. So this pneumatic tubing is then connected to a compressor which you can actuate and depending on what pressure you give the tubing the and what weave style you've used, the textile will move in different ways. So this is how it's considered a robotic textile. So it's actually embedded fully into it.
0: That's awesome. Is that also like mimicking something? Is that biomimetic or is that just totally invented?
2: So that, were, that concept was invented by Professor Suzumori from Tokyo Institute of Technology. He developed these muscles called thin McKibben muscles. So it's this idea of the, the pneumatic tubes, but he downsized it in a way that meant you could use it in so many more applications. So the foundation of my project is using this textile. That's sort of like one block of it. But then I'm using it in a biomimetic system to help study the biological system uh, and also develop the technology. So they're sort of playing off each other and I'm in the middle trying to figure out what to do. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's uh, challenging. And interesting because there's so many moving parts, and you got to keep on top of what's
1: happening, what's affecting what. It's uh, yeah. Well, it's... Can we can we backtrack and can you explain some of these key terms you've mentioned? Like what is biomimicry?
2: Mm-hmm. So biomimicry is the idea that you can take inspiration from a concept in nature. You can do this in different ways. You could be simply trying to mimic or copy a shape take a lesson from a behavior of an animal or biological system or try to replicate a biological system with man-made materials the idea being that we can learn a lot from nature it's you know it's had years to evolve and grow i like to think in some ways that it helps the man-made world sort of align itself more with nature we can in some ways remind ourselves we're even though we're building lots of interesting things and creating lots of cool materials we're still very much part of that and
1: we should protect that as well we've read in your bios that you're also interested in prosthetics but you're talking about modeling systems in the sea and in water so how do these two things overlap because surely prosthetics nothing to do with being in the water
2: well, you could. One crazy idea my, my family like to ask is, are you going to build some sort of crazy fin that humans can wear to swim faster?
0: That's what we thought. We were like mermaids.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not not impossible. <laughs> I'm not sure where where you would apply for the funding for that. But yeah, yeah, I guess the crossover in my mind is uh, buried under a couple of of layers. So my project's not immediately useful people wouldn't say it's immediately useful for prosthetics. But through my projects and similar ones, the idea of this robotic textile is being developed and refined. And it's slowly, hopefully, we'll get to the stage where we can actually use it uh, personally because pneumatic systems are dangerous. They can be quite clunky. Compressors are not small things. So as current state, you wouldn't have your own personal textile. But the idea of developing the technology is that one day we'll get to that stage. And then this textile and other soft robotics can be used in medical applications such as rehabilitation, creating very advanced prosthetics that are even more lifelike than those we have now, or even uh, surgical instruments. I think this area is super interesting because in studying one very specific things, you're planting little seeds for lots of other areas to grow. I would like to remind myself and others that I'm really interested in prosthetics so that maybe eventually <laughs> something will come up and I can really steer my research in that direction because I'm my main motivation is to help people in some way I'd like to use all those years of studying and all you know the the grind and the hard work and the tears to even help one person would be amazing.
0: Are there any like applications right now that exist for your work or is it all quite focused on future advancement?
2: So the main one that's extremely similar to what I'm doing is the studying of fish. Fish being live animals, quite hard to maintain and study in a closed environment. You know, all of In a lot of research and science, your experiments are designed very rigorously to be as accurate as possible or to know all the assumptions. So studying a live animal can be quite difficult. I would argue as well, it's not particularly nice for the live animal. So there's a lot of interest in recreating these live systems for the purpose of analysis. But my textile is the first pneumatic system that will be fully embedded. So much more like the real fish fin, which doesn't have lots of attachments built on to the sides to create all these aspects we're looking at. But further to that, because I think that's quite a specialized biology based area of research, there's a lot of smart textiles being used in fashion and futuristic uses of soft sensing, haptics.
0: You know how you were mentioning is taking inspiration from nature? Is there kind of a sustainability element to it as well that people are considering?
2: At the moment, I don't see that in the fields I'm looking at. This is something I'm very motivated to be my future in research Uh, because I think the first step would be what we're doing looking at nature what lessons can we learn how can we enhance things we already have and then the step after that for me would be to use sustainable even recycled or completely natural materials and I think that's that's quite a big step away from the idea you know of of, uh, traditional composites and man-made materials from crude oil but there's a rise in that right now with a lot of mushroom and fungus based materials I'm not sure if you've seen any of like mushroom leather Uh, they've proven it's just as useful if not with better mechanical properties than traditional leather so in my mind there's there's the maybe the potential for this uh bio hybrid soft robotics Not quite as far as Frankenstein robotics, but somewhere in between maybe using plant-based materials and actuators and eventually energy sources as well.
1: It sounds like you love to pursue a career in research. What do you see as the major hurdles to pursuing an academic career?
2: It's a, a really important question because I think a lot of academia's problems are based on the work culture and this idea that stress is good or you should always be rushed off your feet doing a million different things and although I think it's incredible that a lot of people can do all these things do amazing research great teaching outreach I don't think it's great for our own experiences of life and I also think that people could maybe do an even greater job at the thing they actually love doing if they didn't have to do the 10 other things so I guess for, for myself, I'm weighing up, you know, how much of the bad side of academia do I want to push myself through to be able to be exposed to the great parts, yeah, of which there's many. It's just, you know, it's personal preference over how many l- late nights do I want to spend stressing over something or I'm not sure I've heard of an academic who didn't think about work when they're on holiday. Which is not necessarily bad. I think it's pretty cool that every, you know you can be so interested in your work that you want to keep thinking about it. But yeah, I'm, I have to admit, I hope it's okay. To I think I don't think life should be completely about work, especially if you're taking into account mental health. Or you know, a lot of us experienced burnout during the pandemic. It's not an issue that we can ignore, and I think it, we should talk about it more to benefit the next generation. That's going to be in any sort of industry or academia.
1: From my own perceptions previously, I've always thought of mechanical engineering and engineering in general as having a large proportion of men involved. Do you still find that's something present or is that shifting? I kind
2: of need to answer that in two different ways because there's my, my own view of the journey from say first year undergrad to now and then what i see of other people there's definitely less women around in my immediate vicinity Uh, although there still wasn't that many in my first year of uni i think there was about 15 women and about 150 guys in our undergrad so (laughs) which most of us didn't notice you know we were all there because we liked the topic and in my opinion a friend and a colleague's a friend and a colleague regardless of gender or any other orientation and it's definitely lessened you know it's way more common to walk into a a meeting and i'm the only woman or you yeah or you get an an email and i'm the only woman cc'd in the email that sort of thing which makes my the female colleagues i do have stand out and they're absolutely wonderful I'm in two research groups. In one, the soft systems, we have Dr. Karen Donaldson, who's a wonderful role model, and probably the main female postdoc that I've got to talk to. And then we have another great PhD student, Zurong, who's just just recently started. Uh, So that group's beginning to balance out. Uh, and then on the fluid mechanics side, that's the robotics group, sorry, I should add, <laughs> on the fluid mechanics side, um, it's just myself and one other PhD student, Anjali, who's amazing, but sometimes it does feel like, oh, we're a little bit out of balance. But that's not to say it's it's purposeful. The male colleagues we work with are great as well, and it's not you know any fault of theirs, but often they're, um, the environment can seem a little harsh. I think science and engineering is very numbers-based, it's very analytical. There's not a lot of space for emotion. And although I I don't think we should be screaming and crying about things, I think there's still space to be human and to have a nice, comforting, understanding atmosphere.
0: You mentioned role modelling there, and I wondered if that's something that you think's important within the engineering or STEM fields in general.
2: Yeah, I think it's super important to have role models to look up to, to see examples of what you could do. I think in my undergrad, it didn't matter to me so much because you were sort of just doing what everyone else is doing. You know, you, you chose something to study, you're studying it and you were working towards this goal of getting your degree. And afterwards it's definitely become more important because it's great that there's so many opportunities from getting a good degree, but sometimes you can be a bit lost and think oh is this just do I just go into industry now so seeing amazing female engineers and scientists doing interesting things or being able to see what their career path was it's great not necessarily to copy them but just to have inspiration and to think oh this this woman she's got this amazing degree she took time out or she went into industry she came back she has a family you know, she, she has this great working relationship with her other colleagues. Uh, I think it's really important, but something we need to highlight because uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the, the statistics from like the Women in Engineering Society, but if you look at the number of women in different levels of academia, there's a steep drop-off after Masters. And there's a slight intake with a PhD, but anything above steep drop-off. And, I'm on the Molly Ferguson Initiative Committee uh, in the communication teams, and you know when we're when we're talking about what things we can do to boost our community, we were looking at these numbers and really questioning why does this happen? There, I mean, there's there's a must be a numerous uh, answers. There's never there's rarely situations that occur from one cause, and I, I'm guessing we we'll, we might never get to the bottom of it. But it's definitely something good to keep in mind, you know, uh, promote each other, you never know who you might be a role model for, for. promote your role models for other people.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it's super important. So you mentioned Molly Ferguson there, could you talk a bit about that and any other projects you've seen or have been involved in that you think help to give that female voice to science and engineering?
2: yes so the molly ferguson initiative is school of engineering's senior initiative we officially have our launch uh, in november last year where we had a couple of different events including debates and we had our online molly's awards so we're hoping this is going to be annual to celebrate our amazing colleagues in all aspects of the university so this is not just academic-based roles um but the the goal of the initiative is to create, make engineering a more inclusive space for everybody. So it's based on, uh, first based on female engagement with engineering, but we really want to stress it's for everybody. And through that, we want to highlight our colleagues, celebrate them, celebrate undergraduates, promote role models and creative networking events so that people who can help each other can find each other.
0: Cool. I noticed that you'd, you were involved in something called an audio drama. Can you tell us what an audio drama is and what exactly your involvement was in that space?
2: The audio, project, uh, audio drama project I was involved with was run by Brawl Fox Theatres and they partnered with Royal Academy of Engineering to create this workshop for academics to learn how to express their research through an audio drama with the purpose of maybe understanding the research more learning new ways of communicating and helping those outside of academia understand quite specialized topics so to do that we spent a couple of weeks working with theater writers and theater directors to write a very short radio play which was then recorded by professional actors and released as part of the science festival So, yeah, it was so cool to be part of. And I'll be a bit scary because as an engineer, I would say I'm not that great at writing (laughs) or, (laughs) uh, you know, anything uh, creative writing based. So, yeah, it was a a challenge, but super interesting to think about how can I explain my research to people who haven't spent 50 hours trying to understand this one thing that I I read (laughs) up (laughs) on. So we did online events with where they played the in in the science festival where they played the audio plays and then we had a sort of sort of interview and all the audio plays are still available on their website as well
1: did you get to act in part of that as well or were you just like involved in the writing and creation stage um
2: I just wrote it I'm not sure I would have (laughs) would have volunteered to act in it um but I did I I got to make my characters my grandparents and my whole oh, wow. story was based around them which meant a lot because I think w- without their support I wouldn't be where I am now it gave me a chance to explain a way that this technology could be used to help people which as I said was, is one of my main motivations so yeah it was a great opportunity to do sort of bring lots of different aspects together and it was fun I have to admit it was just you know something different it can be quite boring when you've got 50 50 papers to read and you're not quite (laughs) sure how to take a chunk out of that but I'm going to write a radio play instead.
1: (laughs) Are there any myths that you often hear associated with your research or maybe even that the theatre writers had when you were working with them?
2: Yeah I think uh, so there's a lot of myths around robotics even my own view changed a lot when I uh, started working in it because I think previously I would have thought I can't work in robotics. I've not, I've barely done any electronics, which we all joked was a black magic when we were doing mechanical engineering. And the idea of it being soft as well seems completely alien to people. You know, when I say soft robotics, a lot of people say, what what on earth is that? And uh, then I have to explain that it's actually, it's just as simple as that. We're just using soft materials rather than hard materials. And then, yeah, I I think the myth that you've got to be a hardcore electrical engineer should be debunked because in robotics is actually an amazing interdisciplinary subject area. So you could have, you've got people working on sensors, the electronics, new mechanical engineers, material engineers, material scientists. Uh, there's even some crossover with psychology. There's a, a large research area on how humans interact with robotics. So, yeah, I think most people could probably find a a place for them in robotics to
1: add to it. So I feel like we've talked a lot about trying to get people inspired into this area that they probably haven't thought about before. Is there anyone hearing this that you'd like to tell them anything in particular that you think would inspire them or that you would have loved to have heard if you were listening?
2: I think it's important to say motivational things. I do a lot of teaching and and tutoring, and when you come into contact with maybe second or third year students, a a couple of them have asked, "How on earth are you doing a PhD? Have you have you stuck in with this because it's so hard?" So what I'd I'd say to people is, remind yourself why you got into the topic in the first place, and don't be afraid to admit, yeah, it's it is hard, but it's it's very worthwhile, and like a lot of other things you've got to work for the the achievement and it's, it pays off. It's very fulfilling.
1: Thank you so much to Ruby for coming on the podcast to chat with us about her fascinating research into bio-inspired soft robotics. We loved learning about the other projects Ruby's involved in too, like the audio drama and the Molly Ferguson initiative. So we'll link to those in the show notes. If you want to keep up to date with Ruby's work, we'll also link to her Twitter account. This podcast is brought to you by Edinburgh
0: University Science Media. In each episode, we explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work, and find out about the science being done by our very own staff and students here
1: at the university and beyond. If you have any feedback for us, or if you'd like to get in touch with a question or suggestion, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Edinburgh University Science Media, or at our Twitter, at USCI. That's at E-U-S-C-I. You can also drop us an email at usi.podcast at gmail.com. And you can find the show notes and the latest issue of the magazine at usi.org.uk. This episode was hosted by Alex Bailey and me,
0: Hannah Muir. The podcast logo was designed by Usi chief editor, Apple Chu, and the awesome podcast episode art was designed by Heather Jones, our social media and marketing genius. The intro music is an edited version of Funkarama by Kevin MacLeod, and the outro music is an edited version of Footballs in Space by Professor Colin Campbell. Thank you for listening,
1: and until next time... Keep it science!